Welcome to the Prison Care Podcast. I'm Sabrina Justison, founder of PrisonCare.org, equipping compassionate people to support the often invisible people groups who make up a prison neighborhood. The inmate residents, correctional officers, staff, administration, and the families of all these folks. Join me for this week's episode and be encouraged to think, care, and respond as we explore the challenges facing prison neighborhoods everywhere. Let's support positive prison culture from the outside, because everyone on the inside matters. Welcome to Episode 21 of the Prison Care Podcast. Whose side are you on? Sabrina here. I'm so glad you decided to listen. We have several exciting interview episodes coming up in the next few weeks. So this is the last of my solo episodes for a little bit. Jay and I have recorded episodes on holidays and on food. I get so many questions about how people get fed in prison. Uh, And I have the incredible privilege of interviewing some authors with such impressive credentials. So we're going to start with sociologists, Drs. Angie Hattery and Earl Smith, on their study of the whole, also known as uh, specialized housing unit or SHU or solitary or isolation, lots of names. But uh, they did a study on the whole and its impact on the prisoners who live there, some for years, if you can even imagine that. Yes, some prisoners live in the hole for years. But the impact also on the correctional officers who are charged with their care, custody, and control. Hattery and Smith's book, Way Down in the Hole, just came out in October 2022. And it is so thought-provoking and so wise in pointing us toward caring for prison neighborhoods in new ways with new understanding. In particular, understanding and responding to the realities of racism that are woven into the very fabric of our prisons in the US. And then on another episode coming soon, I am thrilled to have the chance to interview Mary Buser. She oversaw mental health services for inmates on Rikers Island, the principal jail complex for New York City. Um, And she was in charge of that for several years in the late 1990s and then ended up leaving her position there to pursue like a calling really to advocacy for prison reform, for mental health services in prison, for the humane treatment of incarcerated people, and in particular for the end of the uh, the use of solitary confinement. She's written a book called Lockdown on Rikers that was just incredible. Uh, Mary is kind and she's smart and she has lived experience that can teach the rest of us on the outside so much. So I'm looking forward to sharing that interview with you. And then we are also in the process of setting up an interview with a representative from Canine Companions for Independence. That's the service and support dog training organization that creates puppy raising programs in prisons around the country. And that includes the prison where both Jay and Dylan who are incarcerated people who have been interviewed on the podcast. Uh, That's where they serve as dog trainers in the program. So lots of great interview episodes to look forward to. But for today, 
you're stuck with me. And I hope you will stick around for a topic that is fundamental to understanding how ordinary, non-expert people like you and me can learn stuff we need to know and can support positive prison culture from the outside. So today's episode asks, whose side are you on? We're going to take a close look at the us versus them mentality that shapes so much of the toxic environment inside a prison. The toxic environment that is ruining life for the cops as much as it is for the inmate residents. Different uniforms, different backgrounds, different access to areas in the facility, different salaries, different in so many ways. Correctional officers are on one side of the field. Inmates are on the other side. Now, if this were football, it would be bad enough that these people live all day long, every day on opposing sides of the field. But sometimes it's not a football field, it's a battlefield. Too often, it's a field for enemies, not just for opponents. There's a genuine awareness of threat to life and limb when you see someone in the other uniform. There's fear. Sometimes that fear is well-founded. There's hatred. And sometimes that hatred has been earned. There is mistrust, both organic and intentionally taught to you. If you're a CO, don't ever turn your back on them. Us versus them. It's the primary guiding attitude in prison. Before I had learned anything about prison neighborhoods, I assumed it was us versus them on the inside, and I assumed that was proper and best and unavoidable. I thought that bad people had to be locked up because they had done bad things, and that good people guarded them so they couldn't get out and do more bad things, and that hopefully they would see the error of their ways and become good people, and then the good guards would let them back out again. (laughs) Naive much? (laughs) Oh, I say that I thought those things. But the truth is that I barely thought about prisons at all. I didn't think about prison neighborhoods. I didn't think about the people who live in them. Out of sight, out of mind. And that, of course, is what the Prison Care Podcast is dedicated to changing. We're trying to make it impossible to just eh, not think about prisons and the people inside the fence. Our society, structured as it is now, requires that we have prisons. I mean, maybe someday we'll come up with an alternative that separates actively dangerous people from potential victims and provides for rehabilitation that looks nothing like a prison. But for now, prisons are what we have, and we won't be getting rid of them anytime this week. So since prisons are necessary, as things are at this point in history anyway, should we really just ignore them? Should we be naive as to what happens in them? As to what the people we as a society mandate must be there behind locked doors and razor wire. The people we say must be sentenced to prison and the people we say must work in the prison to keep those folks alive and to keep them in line while they serve their sentences. Should we be allowed to just not care? Or is that maybe... I don't know, selfish, (laughs) harmful. 
That's why you're listening to the podcast today, friend. You've got some notion that maybe you should know what's going on inside prisons, because it's actually very hard for everyone on the inside. And while it may be convenient to ignore this, it's not fair. It's not right to ignore it. And it's certainly not compassionate. Those are people inside those walls. They have needs. They have families. They have friends. They have health issues. They have bills to pay. They have unresolved stuff in their life. They, they have unhealed trauma. They have dreams. They have challenges. They matter. Everyone on the inside matters. In our comfortable ignorance, we can assume that an us-versus-them mentality is both unavoidable and necessary in a prison. I mean, some people are there because they're criminals, and some are there because they are willing to serve society by keeping the criminals locked up. Okay, but let's take a closer look. Let's see if this is perhaps vastly more nuanced than us-versus-them. And let's see if there's a way for us from the outside to support an end to the unhelpful us-versus-them mentality that is so often running the neighborhood. Let's walk in the shoes of a correctional officer for a moment, okay? This is not the universal experience for all COs everywhere. This is not even a snapshot of like, I don't know, a day in the life or whatever, but it it is a perspective. It's one piece of a puzzle that's super complex. Um... It's, it's a piece of the puzzle of the very unique and personal life of an individual CEO. I don't think that this would be labeled wrong by any CEO who's listening, but I have no doubt that every CEO who's listening could tell me like a thousand things that I didn't know before, could explain a thousand things that I don't understand at this point, could express a thousand emotions that are so hard to communicate to anyone who isn't actually living their exact life. So I'm not attempting to speak for COs. I'm simply trying to help us on the outside who are not corrections professionals stop and look at COs and some of the challenges that their professional life brings to them. A CO is often working in a job they did not dream of as a young person. They're often working in this field because it was the best option available to them when other things that they maybe would rather have done, became impossible. A CO is often uneasy every single day on the job. A CO can never know what to expect in a given shift. A CO can never know how long a shift will go because emergent situations are unpredictable and they are always going to trump their scheduled shift end time. A CO has been trained to handle emergency situations, those involving one person, those involving several. I mean, heck, those involving an entire population in the facility. They've been trained to respond to violence and threat. They've been trained to contain chaos, but they rarely feel like they have received anything close to enough training. They learn on the job. In some parts of the country, especially since COVID came on the scene, their on-the-job training is all that is offered to them. Correctional officer academies are closed in many states due to a lack of staffing. So COs are hired, given some basic orientation training at the facility, and then are set to shadow a seasoned officer 
while they figure out how to handle a shift. A CO is chronically overtired. Poor sleep hygiene is the norm for anyone in shift work of this type. Just like hospital doctors and nurses simply cannot keep a regular sleep-wake schedule, neither can COs. It's not good for anybody to live long-term with an inconsistent sleep-wake cycle, right? And who surrounds the CO while they're at work? Is it colleagues and supervisors? Not for the most part. Many COs work a shift very much alone in terms of colleagues. Certain areas of the prison require working in pairs, particularly in the whole, but many prisons are so short-staffed that a CO spends the vast majority of their shift without a buddy, without somebody in the same uniform working alongside them. What does surround them is the prisoners, the inmates, the offenders, the bodies. There are lots of different names. And COs in different states and different facilities are taught in their orientation to call them by various names, but never by their first name, their given name, you know, the name their mamas called them. And they, as well, are never called by anything but their last name or by their role. Hey, CO! They have been taught never to present their back to anyone. They look for the door, the exit point. Their eyes scan ceaselessly. They are on alert all shift long. And if they aren't, if their focus slips, something terrible could happen. They're not being overly dramatic. This is reality. Is it any wonder that they view the people in the other uniforms as the enemy? I mean, I would. If I were a CO, I would see the people with DOC numbers on their chests or their backs as a threat, a problem, an enemy. And some of them are. Some are one moment away from flipping out and from hurting someone or from hurting me. So, of course, I mistrust every word they say, every seemingly innocuous thing that they do. But what about rehabilitation? What about redemption? What about people who face their guilt squarely, take responsibility for their actions, make the hard choices, and become, become someone new, someone who is not a threat, someone who could actually be a positive presence in my life, even if I'm a CO? Because, see, those prisoners do exist, even while they're still in prison. There are offenders who are no longer offending anyone and who are working hard daily to never be that person again. There are inmates who will be good neighbors, people of excellence when they are no longer inside, when they are back in society as returning citizens. There are bodies that house souls of tremendous integrity, souls of unselfish generosity and of self-respect and respect for others. What if? What if there were a way for COs to be trained, encouraged, rewarded even by their superiors for noting the residents who consistently show themselves to be persons of integrity, forces of positivity, respectful and respectable? 
What if their workday included encounters with people wearing the other uniforms, who could be assumed to be allies until proven otherwise, because they have already proven themselves over time with consistency to be worth forming an alliance? Not for privileges, not for special access, just for healthy rapport. Rapport is a word that we don't use all that often in many areas of life, but it is of vital importance in the us versus them atmosphere of a prison. So here's a good definition of rapport. A close, harmonious relationship in which the people or groups concerned understand each other's feelings or ideas and communicate well. These are not friends. They're not the same. They're not even a part of the same group. They may well be on entirely different sides of an issue, but they understand each other's feelings and they are respectful of them. They understand each other's ideas and they communicate well, even when disagreeing. Prisons need to cultivate rapport between residents and staff. Where the current atmosphere teaches COs to say, either you are my obvious enemy, or you are trying to manipulate me so you are my sneaky enemy. The COs need measurable ways to allow residents to prove themselves over time, to become people who are allies to one degree or another. They need the chance to build into the stated rehabilitation goals of the prison system by offering less and less mistrust and hostility towards someone who is earning trust and rapport. And residents. Hmm. Residents need encouragement to see and speak to COs as fellow humans. They need to be encouraged to offer simple, respectful conversation, small talk even, as they practice social skills as they grow in empathy toward other people, they need to be rewarded for respecting themselves enough to like appropriately calmly share a differing opinion with someone who has been placed in charge of them, in charge of their care, custody, and control. Self-respect and respect for others are such fundamental requirements for healthy adult living. And residents in a prison neighborhood need to be applauded for learning to respect themselves and those around them. To do any less than this, to to foster this us versus them mentality that already exists, it's going to knock the legs out from under the entire stated purpose of the prison system. If we are supposedly separating people from society because they could not safely or lawfully live there, behaving as they did, and we plan to release them back into society when they are ready to live appropriately in it as free citizens? Well, then don't we have to create space in which they can practice the elements of character development and relationship that lead to solid lives? How can they develop new character within a vacuum? The COs need the rapport for their own health on the job. The residents need the rapport for their health and for the pursuit of their rehabilitation. 
They all need it. Us and them. What can we do to support healthy rapport inside a prison? We can get connected to a prison. You can form a compassion team, become a pen pal encourager. You can learn lots and lots about it at prisoncare.org. In case you're new to us, Prison Care Incorporated is a 100% compassionate person-supported 501c3 nonprofit organization. It relies on the donations of people who believe in our vision. And we have a vision that is all about equipping people to learn about prison neighborhoods, to think of them as neighborhoods, to begin forming connections with incarcerated people, but also forming relationships with the staff in those facilities. Prison Care offers free resources that equip people to create compassion teams to like adopt a prison that they've begun to care for. Each compassion team then is self-supporting, raises its own funds to cover the cost of specific appreciation events they hold for prison staff or specific programs of support that they have designed for their chosen facility. But the starting point is here. It's at Prison Care Incorporated, the national level. And we are so grateful for the generosity we've already received that's made it possible to create resources, to create things like the Prison Care Podcast. We're not fans of soliciting. I am just not going to ask people for money. So we don't email people and ask for donations or pester on social media. If people see the vision, if they catch it, if they embrace the mission, they're going to want to become involved. So if you want to learn more, prisoncare.org. But us versus them, you know, whether you naturally feel a connection to the corrections officers, or whether you feel a connection to prison inmates, we can agree that developing healthy rapport within a prison neighborhood, it's going to be better for all the people, no matter which kind of uniform they wear. I'm going to challenge you, I'm going to challenge myself. Let's see what we can do to encourage respect and rapport for everybody behind the fence. Thanks for listening, friends, and thanks for caring. Thanks for listening to the Prison Care Podcast. Be sure to visit us at prisoncare.org. Prison Care. Equipping compassionate people to support positive prison culture from the outside. Because everyone on the inside matters.